episode 357, Standing Up Telehealth That Actually Advances Provider's Core Business. Today, I speak with Liliana Petrova. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Here's the biggest problem with a lot of telehealth endeavors. Someone decides that they need to be doing telehealth for whatever reason. Maybe there's a pandemic, for example. And the basic plan is this. Install some technology, give everyone a username and password and a link for patients, check that box and move on to the next thing. My guest today, Liliana Petrova, has seen and talked about how, far too many times, the whole concept of telehealth is narrowed down to the exact moment where a patient and a doctor have a visit together. That's it, that transaction. There's little effort, if any effort, made to integrate telehealth into the existing clinical workflow, into the existing patient-slash-customer experience, into the core business into anything longitudinal. Telehealth becomes a weird island of a service only used by intrepid clinicians willing to put in the time and effort required to deal with its vagaries and inconveniences. Only used also by patients who manage to find the telehealth link buried on some website somewhere and then figure out how to schedule their telehealth appointments within a scheduling system, mostly unable to accommodate virtual visits, without a party-sized amount of technical expertise and probably chutzpah. There are consequences to this narrow and pretty slapdash thinking. One of them is that you have very few clinicians and patients willing to brave the organization's telehealth experience, or lack thereof, so they don't use it. And then at some point, the organization does a survey of how much telehealth is going on. And wow, surprising news. Incredibly few are using telehealth. So the conclusion is drawn that patients and or clinicians don't want telehealth. What happens then? Further funding is withdrawn and or the whole telehealth thing goes down on the chopping block. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw the other day. It was a picture of a bar chart showing some survey results. One of the bars in the bar chart was huge and then the other one was like zero. It was a poll. There were two questions in the poll. Here are the two questions. Do you respond to polls or don't you respond to polls? And as per the poll results in the bar chart, in the cartoon, turns out 100% of people respond to polls. Funny, but at the same time, true. Many organizations don't really think through the providence of the sort of in air quotes data they're using to make really important decisions. And when it comes to telehealth, there's a lot of dirty data flying around. This dirty data, though, might be one explanation for the delta between the conclusions of all those studies showing that three out of four patients, always a comfortable majority of patients, intend to use telehealth versus The many health systems and or provider organizations or even some doctors themselves sniffing and turning up their noses and saying that none of their patients are interested in using telehealth because no one is using telehealth in their office. Right. The only thing that's being anecdotally determined by these anecdotal conclusions is that patients don't like and or even know about that office's telehealth solution. It says nothing of the larger trend. When organizations make decisions to not do telehealth well or at all because they didn't do it well and no one could figure out how to use it, then the value that telehealth could bring to both patients and clinicians is forfeit. Sad. Also considering the X on the backs of some specialists and health systems in general these days, this could have longer term consequences. 
some good clinicians could find themselves way behind the curve after making what amounts to a very poor strategic decision. Today, I am speaking with Liliana Petrova, CEO of the Petrova Experience. Liliana is an expert on customer and patient experience. She hails originally from the aviation industry, where she was director of customer experience at JetBlue, where she built and maintained customer centricity across organizations. Today, we're talking about telehealth. Last time Liliana was on the show, episode 236, we talked about customer centricity. So go back and listen to that one if you're interested. In that show, we talked about, as one aspect, lobby design, the impact of having front desk people and clinicians literally barricaded behind cement and glass like they work in some bodega in a bad part of town that gets held up every other day. I never really thought about that and the message that it sends before. Liliana served this past year on the Node Patient Committee and did a whole lot of work exploring telehealth and its potential and challenges. Node stands for the Network of Digital Evidence, linked to the organization in the show notes. In this show, we go through the essentials to pull off a telehealth program that is actually going to deliver returns. In short, here's the ingredients. Number one, a telehealth board comprised of all the cross-disciplinary folks needed to pull this off. Clinicians, IT, and also administrative peeps for a few very critical reasons that we talk about. Having executives on this board with enough power in the organization to define long-term goals that supersede all the short-term ones that usually define and plague organizations, especially public ones, is also very essential here. Number two, redefining IT and the role of IT. This is an interesting one. Liliana talks about how the legacy role of IT is changing. IT leaders can no longer just be the help desk or maintainer of computers or manager of outsourced contracts for the place far away that you call when you can't get on the portal. Today's IT teams need to think like they're a vital part of supporting the needs of patients and clinicians. After all, you can't have technology augmented care when the IT group is shacked up in the basement doing their own thing. Number three, identifying a physician ambassador for the telehealth internally, the telehealth program. Number four, getting patient feedback. I was shocked, literally shocked to discover that some of the most vocally, in air quotes, patient-centric health systems do not collect patient feedback systemically. WTH, really? Liliana gets granular here. Number five, what might be the silver bullet? Patient navigation. We talk about this at some length. Number six, map the end-to-end patient visit. And number seven, continuous improvement. You're never done. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Also, March 8th, 2022 is International Women's Day, by the way. This episode honors women in healthcare doing great things. Liliana Petrova, welcome to Relentless Health Value. It's great to be here again. Well, it is great to have you back. If we were going to make a list of a stepwise approach to installing telehealth in a way that is actually going to gain the adoption that's necessary to call it a success and then also improve patient outcomes, because obviously if you're not really part of the longitudinal patient journey, then, you know, you're probably going to improve outcomes as much as any one patient visit, one episode of care can improve outcomes. Would you say that like maybe the the first ingredient would be to ensure that health system executives that are on board here are able to exert organizational influence broad enough to fold in the teams that are necessary in order to really do this well? Is that maybe number one on our list if we're going to make a list here? 
Yes, who is on this, let's call it telehealth board, <laughs> is ambulatory, IT or technology. And then never forget the administrative side of things. One of the biggest pain points we've seen and hear from patients is scheduling. And why scheduling is such a pain point is because often we see call centers being outsourced to people that do not know much about the healthcare journey of, of the patient, but also unfortunately don't have the proper access to the EHR or the schedules of the physicians to schedule or to answer, you know, 2.0 level problem questions. It's very transactional and very rudimentary what they can do at the front. So administration is a, whatever that's called internally in the healthcare system is another key member to say, hey, how are we going to actually administer all of this? Another connection that I think this team would be making is through the business strategy of the healthcare system as a business. Think about what is the population you're serving and how does telehealth as a tool and as a modality of providing healthcare connects with the needs of this population. It's interesting that you also brought up strategy. Having an executive on the team who is connected with the strategic imperatives of that given healthcare organization, because I could see, let's just put it this way, I would hope that the strategic team is a little bit more sophisticated than contemplating all of these virtual solutions simply as a, while, while we're in this pandemic, we'll use these things. I could see that if we're thinking about things so short term, then there's no point in doing the necessary work to do this well. I mean, you're going to turn it off in a couple of months anyway. Like, why bother spending a ton of time on this project that has expiration date? Is that something that you saw? Yes. And the key word you just mentioned is project. When they think of this as a project versus a program or a strategic imperative, then there is no business case. That's the missing piece. When you're thinking from a business strategy onwards, you're able to start looking for how does the business model will give you the returns to use something new as a way of, of delivering healthcare like telehealth. If you're saying this is a project and I'm just going to implement this software, then there is no return. To give you a parallel back in the day, why the self-service program in JetBlue Airways worked was because we had a business goal to, in our case, lower the volume of calls because that was an expensive channel for us to serve our customers. The same way telehealth could be taught in a strategic way at a healthcare system to say, okay, in the next five to 10 years, what does telehealth do for our business where can we save costs or where can we deliver better outcomes and think creatively about the business case in five to 10 years and then go back to implementing probably many projects in this program. That would allow you to have bigger budget and have a more diverse budget where it would include FTEs, it would include technology, it may include a software to collect feedback or proof of concepts that you test on a smaller scale. In other words, framing it in that way creates these opportunities to transform the way you, you deliver care. In a way, I can see why many organizations don't manage to do that. Just inherently, so many think so 
very short term. Like think they're thinking about the quarter, not even necessarily the year, let alone five years. So it definitely would take someone higher up in the organization who has the authority really to put this on that overarching corporate goal. Tend to yeah, be and I love how you framed it in, in your piece over the holidays when you said, how do you integrate telehealth in your core business? And in any business, regardless of the industry, that is the holy grail. When you say an organization innovated, that means an organization was able to see a new way of doing things and was smart enough to take the time and create this process that we're talking about to test the technology and then to integrate it into the core business. So that's why this authority you're talking about is important to have a person that is high enough to have that bandwidth and that budget authority to be able to issue the bigger checks, but also to see the potential and the business case long-term for technology to transform their core business. You've mentioned IT a couple of times, the IT department. If we're going to move on to number two here, I could definitely see a redefining of the role of IT in the health system could definitely make our list. IT is is a tricky one. Innovative CIOs sometimes go too far setting up innovation hubs outside of the of the healthcare system. But then we have these other CIOs, for lack of a better word, I'll use the word legacy, but they think like a legacy CIOs where they were supporting the hardware, the computers, they were running help desk. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. A good CIO would need to be mature enough to understand that ultimately their job is to serve the business and innovative enough to be able to source the technologies that fit the business strategy of their healthcare system. That unicorn CIO is probably pretty hard to find. However, that is the the future the future tech executive in a healthcare system that is best equipped to implement telehealth in a sustainable way. And there are CIOs that listen to this show. Is this something that a CIO themselves, if they are a unicorn themselves, that they can manage to pull off kind of on their own? Or is this something that, again, organizationally, there needs to be a change maybe from the, you know, CEO, CFO standpoint? Yes and no. To me, CEOs are more of the public figure. It's kind of like more governance role than operational role. CIO is a high enough position that if the person is able to form partnerships and alliances with the business leaders, their peers, I think by themselves, they'll be able to figure this out. Now, you did mention the CFO role, which across industries has a healthy conflict with the tech leaders. And there's a good reason for it. The world has digitized. So the costs of of the CFO budget are really, really heavily skewed to tech these days. So it's natural to have this friction there. But again, if the business case is there and if the returns are there and if you're able to explain that at at an executive level, I think a CFO would support something well planned out. Okay, so number one on our list, if we're going to think about how to effectively implement telehealth in your core business, you have to have a critical mass of high enough executives to create both the sufficient longevity of the the program as well as get the right people on the team and actively participating. The number two, which we just talked about, is the role of IT and ensuring that the IT team themselves is thinking through the opportunity 
opportunity of telehealth and that they're part of this. So number three. Number three on our list is to identify a physician as a, the ambassador of, of telehealth internally. Having somebody both give input into the design of the telehealth experience and also quote unquote sell it to their peers is going to be key. We often heard that, hey, some physicians love telehealth, others don't. Well, having one of them be your fan and the speaker, if you will, in the room when you're not there goes a really long way. What you just said is a basic tenet of effective change management. Yes. Because, you is. know, I think what a lot of people forget is that if you're using something new, you just get the word new in a sentence. It doesn't matter what it is. There is an element of change management that absolutely needs to happen. Yes. And I also think a physician would give you what we call the use cases that you may not know of. They discover value. They grow the return on investment if they, they're your early adopter and they keep trying new things. And sometimes that's the beauty of tech is that sometimes you don't know when you start how much potential there is. And then you're like, well, that can also be applied here. And allowing for this space to have this creativity is really, really key. And then, of course, the flip side of that, you can certainly avoid doing really dumb stuff. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, yes. physicians are the ones who are ultimately taking care of patients. So if the goal here is to improve patient care. I don't even know how it would be possible to do that without <laughs> physicians and other care providers on the team. All right, so how about number four? Number four is using patient feedback, utilizing it properly. One thing we discovered that really breaks my heart is that it's extremely hard to find patient feedback or to have an easy access to patients for feedback loops. Because of HIPAA, healthcare systems have different constraints. What I would say, though, is every industry has these constraints, but somehow other industries have figured it out. You can anonymize feedback. There are all kinds of tactics that can be utilized to to create that center of excellence of listening to patients and caretakers' feedback. Right now, I don't think that is happening. I don't want to explain. It's extremely hard to be patient-centric without the patient voice. Let me just cut in here because uh, my <laughs> antenna are like sky high right now. So we have organizations who are saying that they're patient-centric, but they cannot figure out logistically how to actually ask a patient what they want. Yes. Or what we discovered is, let's say the ambulatory team somehow has somebody who collects it, but then they don't release it internally. So other divisions are, or departments of the healthcare system are still not allowed, quote unquote, to see this patient feedback, to analyze it and to utilize it for their benefit. You can call me completely <laughs> naive here. And maybe somebody listening is like, you don't understand the half of it, Richter. But that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Everybody knows at this juncture, it is undeniable, inarguable, that the patient must own their own health and that the patient must be the steward of their own journey. And that unless we make things patient-centric, they will not work. There will not be outcomes. There will not be. I mean, you talk about all the social determinants of health, like all that is wrapped up in what I'm, I'm saying now. And yet a health system can't figure out how to get patient feedback in any sort of organized fashion. And they blame HIPAA. Yikes. 
This is literally what happens. And as a customer experience professional, I almost feel blind because this is a, a somewhat of a fundamental tool in the in the customer experience field. To be frank, that is something I, I want to focus on in 2022. Well, considering that healthcare systems really have an X on their back, you know, it, it's not just a few people who have figured out that they're sitting on a trillion dollars and that their patient experience is frankly not great. If you notice to the startups that are really savvy in creating better patient experiences, they all start with the feedback and they have this they, they have this fundamental in the design of their tech to talk to patients and to collect feedback. Just kind of riffing off the patient, I'm going to assume that one of our steps here is going to be to map that end-to-end patient visit. You know, you talked about the longitudinal patient journey. Is that something that you'd also add? Absolutely. I would say... You know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to not make this too overwhelming because in my head, all of this journey makes perfect sense and it's seamless. But I do recognize that we're saying a lot today and that people may be like, oh my God, this is so much work. How am I going to do this? It really starts with that cross-functional executive team setting it up at the top. Because if you do that, that team will probably choose their own sub-teams, right? The key is if you start at a strategic level with cross-functional leaders, then the working team will also be cross-functional. And when it's cross-functional, it will be very easy to go and start working on the end-to-end patient experience journey versus this one touch point that we started with. Because a customer experience has different touch points, you're going to have in the room people that represent those touch points. So the conversation will naturally flow to be like, well, how do they know about this? Or like, well, wait, what happens at the end? When you don't have this team set up and this almost fluid cross-functional organization talking, these questions are not being asked. And that's why, for me, the next imperative to to innovation is really to map the end-to-end patient journey and start thinking about how these things would work from the moment the patient starts looking for a physician to the touch point where they're leaving their visit and they're wondering what they should do next. We all suffer. We walk around as patients with question marks and it's just fascinating that some of the question marks we have are actually rudimentary. Like, for example, hey, how come I have blood tests done and nobody tells me how to access this information? All kinds of these chunks almost of the patient journey that are missing and are just dropping on the continuum of experience. You won't have a successful telehealth experience if you don't think through the end-to-end experience. That's something that Tony DeJoya spoke at length about in earlier episode. We'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. One of the things that he talked about is how a patient-centered value system should be the new OS for for healthcare systems and effectively Mm -hmm. what that all consists of. It was sort of a systematic way to do exactly what Mm -hmm. you're talking about, Liliana. So if anyone is really interested in the how-to, I would go back and listen to that show. But it also reminds me what you just said of something that I heard Esther Dufflo say on Adam Grant's new podcast, which is good if anyone has not listened to it. But, (laughs) But one of the things that Dr. Dufflo said, you know, like sometimes you can get discouraged because you look across the whole whole universe and it still is is dark but there's bright spots that 
are individual points. So you fix something little, you fix something little, you fix something little. And one of the things that she said is that ultimately all of those little points of brightness can become a pointillist painting, right? Like you start at some juncture putting them all together and they can become something that does make a dent in the universe, which I thought was kind of encouraging and, and kind of puts together the idea that you can work this from the bottom up. I mean, you can only get so far if you work this from the bottom up, but you can accomplish certain things at, at certain points in that continuum. And then hopefully you're met by a top-down approach because that's probably how this works the best. I love this metaphor. I mean, it's another fundamental of change management to celebrate small wins and to create these milestones. You know, one of the things that you just brought up, and if we're thinking about the longitudinal patient journey here, that one of the things that people who actually do talk to patients... Was that passive-aggressive? I didn't mean it that way. You know, one of the things that patients often complain about is they don't know that they become responsible for trying to figure out like what specialists to go to and what who who is the best specialist or in order to plot out that longitudinal journey, you sort of need some element of navigation. Did that come up in the work that you've done? If there is one silver bullet is the the digital navigator. A digital navigator is a very key role to the operationalization of telehealth. And a digital navigator shows up at different touch points on that continuum we're talking about, serving different, kind of filling different gaps, if you will, in the pure tech world. And it's a very, very key role when it's defined properly, really brings the success to these programs. Sometimes it, it can be even a virtual MA, You know what I mean? Like, don't limit this to a help desk tech support. Think about from a needs perspective. What does the physician need at this touch point that's missing? What does the patient need? And then define what type of skill set should be used at that touch point for a digital navigator. So the word can be the same, but the people filling this role can be different. I think most of us are familiar with what a healthcare navigator does. You know, the health system is so complex and confusing. Even the health health systems, like a hospital, is so complex and confusing that very often there's individuals and their whole job basically is to help patients move from one point in their patient journey to another point in their patient journey. When you say the term digital navigator, though, what do you exactly mean by that? Do you do you mean just like an individual who is available virtually somehow? Or is this some sort of built out tech app? thing. Actually, I love that you framed it this way because we can introduce the concept of a chatbot and online chat support here, which is something that other industries also use. So how that digital navigator shows up in the journey can be by a phone and then I support you to, let's say, test your link and your Wi-Fi, or it can be a chat that pops up when you're in the waiting room and says, hey, by the way, I saw that you have these results from your test last time. Have you had a chance to read them? Maybe while you're waiting, you can review them and you're more ready for the conversation with the physician. Or it can be a person who sends an email or or, or drops in the my chart uh, my next steps that are already within 24 hours there. And the physician says, hey, by the way, within 24 hours, check your, your portal and you're going to know exactly what you need to do in the next three weeks. These are different pieces of the journey that can be fulfilled by different people and different tech that makes that digital navigator grow, if you will. 
It's a little nebulous, but it's essentially a helper. And there's always a person on the other side that is both, that has the right skills from just healthcare perspective. They know what I what's happening with me. They understand my challenges. If I have pain, constant pain, they know roughly what's happening to me. They also have technology literacy to be able to assist me in whatever I need. And the last thing is they have the right access. I can't say enough about this word access. We see this in any customer support, which in this case, this is patient support role. If you hire people and then for whatever reason, government, regulatory, you say, no, can't have access to this, no access to this, no access to this, you're wasting your money. So the more access they have, the more answers they can provide to the patients, the more outcomes are better of the whole experience. You really hammered home the point that some sort of digital navigation, navigation is really necessary here. Why did you come to that conclusion? What was happening? What was falling apart? Well, I think we're coming full circle here, right? Lower adoption and no repeat visits. And generally speaking, additional cost to the healthcare system. Because think about it. If you have a telehealth visit and it could be argued that if you build this correctly, it will be cheaper than me calling all these people and burdening many, many people with questions that are not answered in a telehealth visit. If you build it correctly, then it can be, you know, a self-contained experience that fulfills the, the quote-unquote job that you start as a patient to have, which is I want to have a an appointment. I want to know what to do next. I want to know what happened before, you know, and I want this to be seamless. If that actually happens, I will use it again. And then I will not call anyone. I will just keep coming and, and managing my health as a, as a grown-up. What we saw happen though is here is a link Here's another link. Here's an email with the link. Link, link, link. Come show up to this visit. Maybe you wait, but there is no even interface. So you don't know when the doctor's coming. No messaging. So you're just sitting there, you know, is this guy coming or no? Or woman. And then, okay, bye. And then I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. So that's what we saw. Without that digital navigator, there is literally no experience. There is a touch point. So you're almost missing. It's kind of funny. It's like there's like a road with many touch points. The road is missing. There's just one blip on the road. And that's what today telehealth seems to to be. I'm understanding that a digital navigator, it could be a chatbot, it could be an individual who is sitting behind the scenes just making sure that patients understand where the road is and um, are guiding patients along that road, answering questions that that may come up in, in some fashion that, that's patient-centric. It could be upfront telling you if you should have televisit or in-person visit. That is another touch point we didn't cover, which was the, the actual scheduling point. If I go to a website and I say, hey, I want to schedule a visit, a, a digital n- navigator can guide me, can, can be bringing process efficiencies in the healthcare system that way. So there are no telehealth visits that are usually not effective and vice versa. When you say telehealth, you really should also be thinking digital navigator at the same exact time. I'm hearing that these two things must travel as a set. If the digital navigator is not there or that that touch point is not built out, you call some remote call center and then you say, hey, I want an appointment. They rarely offer telehealth, very rarely. And then they book you and it's just same old. We're back to in person. We've talked about what's really necessary or a process maybe if you put these in some kind of order to effectively implement telehealth. We talked about making sure that the right people are on the team, including executives that are high 
up enough in the food chain. We talked about making sure that we're redefining the role of IT, ensuring that there's a physician as an ambassador of the telehealth internally. We talked about number four, which probably should be number one, which is engaging and having access to actual real patients with real experience. We talked about number five, which is mapping the end-to-end patient visit and the end-to-end patient journey as well, which could also include an element of, of digital navigation, putting a star by that one. What else? Are we missing anything? The only thing, it's it's somewhat of a cliche and and somewhat of a consultant talk, but it's so true, is this whole concept of continuous improvement, this whole idea that you're never really done. It's just so important that as the organization grows or changes direction, that telehealth moves with it. So it continues to be useful and that there is a mechanism to collect feedback, continuous feedback, so you can build upon what you have done so far. If you were going to just sum all this up, Liliana, Mm -hmm. is there any advice that you would offer to somebody working in a health system who's This is kind of, it's a lot, right? Like if I'm one individual, how have you seen one individual move forward in the right way? Curiosity is a key word here. I've seen physicians do a lot with telehealth by being naturally curious about telehealth believing that this is the way of the future. Seek whoever is even a resemblance of a telehealth leader in the organization. Partner with that person, create proof of concepts just for themselves and start grassroots initiatives. It works. It works until a certain point and it could improve the outcomes of your specific patients. What not to do is if you realize that you have reached that scale you can't do any more until the enterprise gets involved. Seek the enterprise support and if it's not there, just relax. <laughs> you can't do anything more. See what I mean? Know when and where to stop so you don't aggravate yourself day in and day out because then you may lose the benefit of what you've built so far. That's probably good mental health advice. If you can't figure out how to, for example, get the CFO involved so you can figure out how you're going to get reimbursed or work this into the business model or whatever else it is, Mm -hmm. then you're constantly going to be battling headwinds. If someone is interested in learning more about the Node specifically telehealth project, is there a place that they could go? Yes, there is. Node Health is an organization that is seeking to elevate telehealth. I co-lead the patient node. We are a think tank group that meets monthly and thinks through different challenges in the ecosystem. We are looking for new members of our patient node group for 2022. So if anybody is interested in joining us, please, please email me directly at liliana at thepetrovaexperience.com and I would be more than happy to invite you to our kickoff meeting this year. So Liliana, you had mentioned your Petrova Experience website. What's that URL again? ThePetrovaExperience.com. Liliana Petrova, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for always having these probing questions and facilitating these interesting conversations. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. 
another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.